You artists have a special relationship to beauty. Beauty, like truth, brings joy to the human heart. Beauty is an invitation to savor life and a dream of the future. Beauty is a key to the mystery and a call to transcendence. Beauty is the vocation bestowed on you by the Creator. And the gift of artistic talent. None can sense more deeply than you, artists. Ingenious creators of beauty that you are. That beauty will save the world. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning into JP2 Radio for another episode of Letter to Artists. Brought to you from The Vault at John Paul the Great Catholic University, this show is inspired by the beloved St. Pope John Paul II's encyclical, Letter to Artists, and led by Catholic artists from our community who desire to share with you their journey in creativity and their journey of faith through the development of their artistic talents. I am your host, Bailey Garland. Each week, I have been chatting with different artists as we explore a different creative medium. This week is Another super awesome episode. It's on writing, and I'm so excited because this will be another hour-long special. Woo! So we've had one before with Father Simon Asaki, and this one is going to be with an amazing writer, Tara Stone. And this will also be the final episode of the first season of Letter to Artists. We finally did it. We've got one whole season recorded. Um, and on and I'm just really excited to see what comes next. So um, I'll fill you in probably at the end of the show of we're going to be taking a short pause, kind of why and things like that. But without further ado, I want to just give you a little bit about our guests. So on this episode, um, we've got Tara Stone, who is a gifted author and in She's got an incredible journey to share with us, the way the Lord has called her through her gifts and through her vocation, both little V and big V that he has given her. So from what I understand, Tara Stone has written books, blog posts, and a couple of screenplays that look super entertaining. I was checking out her website and it's awesome. And she's highly recommended by the professors um, here at JP Catholic. And because they were such a fan of her work, um, she has even has a film made about her life and her call to the vocation of consecrated virginity. So I'm really excited to hear more details and I cannot wait for her to share her story with you and with me and her other stories, just not about her, but the stories that she's written with us. But before we dive into our guest thoughts, I just want to remind our listeners that our show is inspired by our namesake, St. Pope John Paul II and his encyclical Letter to Artists, where he encouraged all artists to reclaim their vocation to beauty. So each week we've been reflecting on a different golden nugget from the wisdom of our late yet beloved Pope. This week we'll be guided by these words. In order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. Art must make perceptible and, as far as possible, attractive the world of the spirit, of the invisible of God. It must therefore translate into meaningful terms that which is in itself ineffable. I thought the Holy Spirit did a great job in picking the quotation for our conversation today. I know I've said it before, but I love when that happens. I'll just scroll and my eyes will land on something that is perfect for the show I'm looking for. So let's just keep that in mind as we welcome our guest for today's show, Tara Stone. Welcome, Tara. Thank you for having me, Bailey. Thank you. I'm so happy to finally meet you over the phone. I've heard such wonderful things about you, and I'm just grateful that you were able to make the time for us. I know that you have quite a busy schedule, so this is quite a gift. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm really um, honored that uh, some of the professors at JP Catholic uh, recommended me. So. <laughs> I am too. I'm grateful that they did. So before we begin, um, why don't we just start in prayer? I'll lead us in a quick one. 
right. Sounds good. All right. We cover ourselves and the whole world in the blood of Christ in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for this time together. We give you praise for the gift of technology, for the gift of each other, for the gift of art. Lord, we lay all of our talents, all of our gifts down at your feet. And in our littleness, we ask you to humble us and allow us to be led by your hand that we may glorify you in everything that we do. Let everything we say, let everything we think be a reflection of your goodness and your beauty, Lord. We ask this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Tara, Amen. why don't we just start off by you telling us about yourself? I mean, I am so excited. I would love to just dive into your vocation story or anything, wherever you want to start. Um, let's just dive in. Where'd you come from? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, okay, well, um, I was born and raised in Colorado, and um, that's where I live now. That's where I ended up again. Um, I grew up in a town called Monument, Colorado. It's right outside of Colorado Springs. Very small town. Um, when I was, um, I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic, but when I was about five or so, my parents stopped going to church, and um, like really, my my experience of the faith was saying grace before meals. Um, but when I was um, ten, when I was in fifth grade, um, my my parents' marriage came to a crisis moment, and um, they came very close to um, ending their marriage, but. Um, by the grace of God, they decided to come back to church and reconcile with each other. Wow, praise God. So, yeah, so, like, my first um, memory of, like, coming back to the church, going back to Mass, is so intimately connected with the reconciliation of my family and, um, like, that that example and witness of mercy. Um, Mm. And it was like a really, really powerful um, experience, right? So it's, it's like the most painful time of life, my life, most painful moment in my life. Um, and then that turned into like the greatest gift of, of all, right? Because wow. um, my faith is everything. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we came back to church at, at midnight mass of my, for Christmas of my fifth grade year. So, um, and I finally received like, communion at the end of my fifth grade year and um, yeah it was it was pretty wild but um it was a it was it really set me up for um a strong faith life I guess because um not only seeing my parents reconcile with each other but they became on fire for their faith you know and so like it was our dinner time conversation um just talking about like what the church teaches and um so I, I grew up very well formed from that point on. Um, and I think it was probably my, my junior year of high school that I, that I first had the thought that um, I might not be called to marriage. Um, I was dating a really nice guy at the time, but um, I just felt like this isn't, this isn't right. Um, but I sort of forgot about 
that for a while because I wanted to pursue, you know, college and, um, you know, see what normal people do, I guess. <laughs> um, so um, I started out going to the University of Denver um, to study trumpet performance, actually. I, the only thing I really loved in high school was band. Um, mm. And so I went on to, to study trumpet performance at the University of Denver, and I got really involved with um, Focus there, Fellowship of Catholic oh, University yeah. Students. Um, that was a really great experience. I went to a Focus conference, and um, I had sort of my first exposure to um, religious life. I, I met some Dominican sisters, um, the ones from Ann Arbor, and um, eventually I went on a, a vocations retreat with them, and it was really, it was a fantastic weekend. It was beautiful. Um, but I came away from it knowing, like being absolutely sure that I am not called to religious life. <laughs> um, so again, I just sort of forgot about it. Um, realized that um, as much as I love music, I didn't love playing trumpet enough to make that a career. Right. Um, and so I transferred um, to JP Catholic. Um, and it's, the Lord is so great in the way that he works because JC Catholic didn't even exist when I graduated from high school. So it wouldn't have even been possible for me to go there. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I just knew that I wanted to be involved in film. I, I had no idea what that meant. Um, and I knew I didn't want to go to any other film school that was going to, um, where I was going to be like scandalized by the movies they were going to show me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I found out that such a thing as JP Catholic existed, I just, like I knew that was what I wanted to do. And um, so I, I had been working full time for the University of Denver um, at the time. And so I quit my job, moved out of the state, left everything behind, started completely over on my bachelor's degree <laughs> um, at 23 years old. So mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that was in 2008. Um, it's wild to believe that that was like 14 and a half years ago now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so I, I, my, I actually first thought that I was, um, wanted to be an editor because I took an editing class with maybe my first quarter there. Um, and it wasn't until I took my first screenwriting class that I was like, oh no, this is it. (laughs) This is what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I remember in that first class writing a, um, a spec script for the TV show Smallville. I was mm. like, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life. Mm. I was like carrying my, my laptop around with me everywhere. And even if yeah. I had just five minutes, I would get it out and like write some more. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so yeah, how, um, yeah. How did that look when you were, um, you came here and then you took that class um, and then were you just like, yeah, you were like, this is it. And you just kept writing screenplays or did it go from, did you kind of go from like novels to, you know, poetry or things like that? Or like, what did that look like? No, I'm, I've never been much of a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, I did in, in one of my screenplays, I wrote lyrics for um, mm-hmm. songs cause it's a musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, the first memory I actually have of, of wanting to be a writer, I was in first grade. <laughs> I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And I would write short stories for my classmates. And I just I really loved it. Um, 
But I, I think by the time I seriously started considering a career, I kind of forgot that that was like a, a thing that I could do. Um, I don't know why music seemed more practical because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not at all. But um, I don't know. It wasn't until I got to JP Catholic that that was like rekindled as a, as a possibility for yeah. me. Um, and so, you know, at that point, JP Catholic was so, so new um, that the school was still kind of figuring out like um, curriculum and um, we, we didn't really have any like per, um, particular degrees. Like we were all just communication media majors. Right, right. Um, there was no like directing track or screenwriting track or any of that. So um, I did end up with a screenwriting emphasis, but that was sort of a, um, like by my senior year or something, they had finally mm-hmm. gotten like, oh, we should make emphases. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I was, it was my sophomore year at JP Catholic that um, Professor Chris Riley, the screenwriting professor, that he um, approached me and told me that, that um, some of the older students were working on um, a web series called Bump, and he invited me to the writer's room. And mm-hmm. I was like, really sort of blown away because I, I think I'd only taken a couple of screenwriting classes by that point. But I remember he just told me like, you know, there are all sorts of um, skills and, and tools and tips that you can teach people to, to be better writers, but some people just have it and some people don't and you have it. Wow. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> that's like oh, the best compliment I've ever been paid in my life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was, like, my first experience, like, writing on a, an actual production. And then by my senior year, um, I, I pitched the idea that instead of doing several different senior projects, that we should do one senior project and that it should be a feature film. And I don't know how I convinced them that that was a good <laughs> idea, but I did. And we made the movie Redline, and I got to write it. So. <laughs> And that's a legacy. I mean, Redline is a legacy here. And now we're developing the feature film program, which is like all stemming from that time. So, yeah, so yeah. I'm so excited about that because, you know, um, George Simon, um, he he was my classmate. We graduated right. together. So it's yeah. like so cool to see him building that program. And I'm just it's, it's so great. Um, so what is your yeah. process of sitting down to write a screenplay? What does that look like? Um, well, gosh, I don't know. It's, it's sort of different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm asked to write a screenplay for, for somebody else, um, or for some other project, somebody else already has the idea and I'm just sort of, um, making it happen, making it real. Um, but then there's like my, my screenplay, the detective secretary that just like, sort of popped into my head one day the log line just kind of came all packaged together (laughs) (laughs) and um and I was like I I gotta write that so um I I try to follow um you know like I I start with the hero questions um from from Chris Riley's class and then I do uh like the basic beat sheet um and then I just sort of like start fleshing it out more and more with every round until I'm ready to, to sit down and write scenes. Um, and then rewriting is a, a 
depends on who gives me notes. <laughs> <laughs> do you usually ask like peers for notes or do you use some sort of like, I don't know, online system or how does, what do you do for feedback? Um, I try to do a combination of, um, I, I pick like two or three people and at least one of those people I want to know um, screenwriting or at least storytelling as a mm. craft yeah. um, so that they can give me um, more precise feedback, I guess. Um, but I also try to pick um, just normal readers, people who are just reacting emotionally that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I think sometimes that as, as screenwriters, when we give notes, we can sort of see what is intended and not just what's there. And so we can, I think kind of, uh, either be too hard or too soft, depending yeah. on on what we see as the intent. Um, but when when you just have like a a layperson, for lack of a better term, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's they're just they're just reacting, and right. that reaction is so valuable because then you understand, like, yes, that I wanted that line to make them laugh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or um darn I wanted that line to make them laugh and it made them angry (laughs) like (laughs) I did something wrong so um so it can be really um valuable and I actually um my my favorite person to get notes from is actually my niece because she's very good at like she just kind of um keeps notes as she's reading and says like oh my gosh with this part I laughed out loud or oh my gosh right now I'm I'm crying or like it's really great to see her just sort of chronicle her, her reactions as she's reading. So. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So um, as you're writing your screenplays, you mentioned that sometimes you write them for other people. And then, so sometimes do you write them just for yourself to have, or do you go to sell them or have you also made your own stuff? Um, I haven't made any of my own stuff. Um, the screenplays that I write for myself, um, are screenplays that they're movies that nobody makes anymore. They're movies like they belong in the 1940s. Gotcha. <laughs> um, that is my, my favorite um, era of film to watch. Yeah. And so those are my favorite movies to write. Um, and I, and I'm sort of okay with nobody wanting to make them. Um, because I, I don't know, like I, I wrote them for me. And yeah. um, so what I, what I did is I, I published those, screenplays as paperback like in paperback form Mm -hmm. so they're in screenplay format but people can just buy them and read them because I want to share the stories I want people to to be entertained by them but I don't I just realistically know that nobody's going to invest money in that kind of film yeah it's not marketable Mm -hmm. so Oh, that's cool. And I feel like usually in the film world, we always make a comeback at some point. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> although it's not right now, they in 10 years, it could be all about the <laughs> bring them back or it something like that. But um, yeah. no, this is so cool. So um, you mentioned that you when you had the idea for you said detective secretary, right? That's the name of the one of the screenplays. Yeah. Um, you just kind of got the inspiration. Is that normally how it works when you're writing? Like you, do you still carry your laptop around with you everywhere to just have at the drop of a nail or what is, how does your inspiration usually strike you? Um, that's a great question. (laughs) I don't know. Um, it doesn't hit that often. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that it did with the detective secretary. Um, yeah, it's usually a lot more work, but when, but when ideas do, 
strike me, I actually, I email myself. Oh, funny. Um, so I, I keep a, a folder in my inbox of story ideas that I have emailed to myself oh, so wow. I can access them anywhere. Um, and, you know, I have email on my phone, so I can just type it out real quick and then send it and mm-hmm. then know that it, I can come back to it anytime I'm ready. Um, oh, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, really quick, I'm going to do a reset. If you are just joining us now, welcome to Letter to Artists. You are joining our conversation with writer Tara Stone for our second hour-long special and also our final episode of this season of Letter to Artists. So we've been talking a little bit about where Tara came from, um, her kind of her journey in screenwriting, how she got to JB Catholic and kind of in our web of people. And um the type of, of screenplays that she writes. She usually, um, she said she's published them as paperbacks because um, they have the 1940s kind of style to them. So she knows they aren't quite marketable, at least not yet. Um, but it's been really interesting to see her process of writing and to just hear where she comes from. Um, now, I would love, Tara, if we could dive a little bit more into your vocation story as well, because you do live consecrated, the consecrated virginity. And um, I'm wondering, you mentioned earlier that you went on a retreat and you were convinced that you were not supposed to be in religious life. Um, so when did it change that you kind of knew that you still had a call in a different direction than marriage? Um, well, the first time I actually thought about um, consecrated virginity in particular, I was at JP Catholic. It was during my, my MBA. Cause I, I stayed to get my MBA from JP Catholic as well. Um, and it was really during my last year in San Diego that I, um, discovered consecrated virginity. I, I had sort of by process of elimination, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I'm not called a marriage. I know I'm not called a religious community. What else is there? And so I actually just did a Google search. I was like Catholic single vocations. Um, and I, I found this website, um, the United States Association of Consecrated Virgins. And, uh, I was really, um, struck by it, attracted by it. Um, and I, I took it to a priest that I was sort of receiving spiritual direction from at the time. Um, but he actually told me that um, I was thinking about it in the wrong way for all the wrong reasons. Because at the time, it was all about like what is practical. Um, because I, I felt so um, deeply and so strongly that I was called to be a writer, that I was called to a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I was like, I, I don't think I could make a, a very good mother and wife, um, you know, because I feel this call to a career. So like, this is the vocation that I think I'm called to. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't have a vocation. You don't choose this vocation because it's practical. You choose it because you love Jesus and you want to give your life to him. Mm. I was like, oh, um so I was like really discouraged for a while yeah um I ended up moving back to Colorado um and I found a a fantastic job here um within just like two weeks of moving back um yeah with a a production company a video production company called Ferrari Film um and uh I I tried after after that experience with that spiritual director I, I tried dating again um I did like the Catholic match thing I dated friends of friends I um 
I, I tried and I was like, no, this is just, <laughs> this is not it. <laughs> no, this is not it. Um, and so I, I started um, searching consecrated vocations again um, and started meeting with a, a different spiritual director. And, and he sort of guided me into a place where like, um, I knew why I wasn't being called towards marriage and I knew why I wasn't being called towards a religious community. Um, and I was reluctant, reluctant to consider consecrated virginity again because I was sort of burned from that first um, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it eventually came around to that again. And he, my spiritual director here in Colorado, he um, connected me with um, a consecrated virgin in my diocese that I could meet with and talk to oh, and, and ask questions of. And when I met with her, I, you know, she's, she's probably 80. It's <laughs> <So laughs> like pretty wide age difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and her, and her background is very, very different than mine. Like her, the, the details of her life are extremely different, but her spiritual journey just like struck so many chords with me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so a couple of days after that, um, it was the, the Feast of All Souls of 2015. Um, I opened this um, huge 400-page PDF that the United States Association of Consecrated Virgins publishes on their website. And I opened it and started to read it. And within the first page, I actually heard Jesus say to me, Tara, I'm asking you to marry me. Wow. And I was like, well, I can't say no to that. <laughs> so, um, so I, I emailed my bishop that, that day and met with him later that week. And nine months later, I was consecrated. So, um, oh my gosh, praise be to God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I'm so interested. Can you, um, tell our viewers in case they are unfamiliar because I feel like consecrated virginity is the the least you know one of the least talked about in our um mm-hmm. well, I guess the least talked about of the the kind of three that we've the big ones that we've got in the Catholic faith so can you just explain a little bit what that means to be a consecrated virgin sure so the the full title of my vocation is consecrated virginity lived in the world mm-hmm. um so I don't belong to any religious community um I am responsible for myself. I um, have to pay my own bills, um, have to provide for my own retirement, right? I don't get paid by the church. I don't, I'm not provided for by a community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am um, consecrated to a life of virginity. I have renounced the goods of earthly marriage for a heavenly one. I am espoused to Christ um, forever and for always. And um, yeah, it is like, Physical virginity is a is a requirement of it, um, and it is completely indispensable. Like I can I can never change my mind. Yeah, <laughs> one and done. So, um, yeah. What else? I'm wondering that, too. That enough? <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Sorry, I just didn't know if you had oh, if you were still going. But um, do you no. have like a um, like I know a lot of religious have to do like liturgy of the hours and things like that. Do you have like a, a set of I guess rules or do you have to take the same vows of like poverty? I mean, or I guess chastity, yes. But do you have to do a vow of poverty or anything like that or no? No. So um, I I do I am obligated to to pray the liturgy of the hours. Okay. Um, morning prayer and evening prayer at minimum. 
Um, but because we have to um, provide for ourselves financially, like mm-hmm. our, our schedules are, are different. Every consecrated virgin lives differently right. in the world, right? Um, so morning prayer and evening prayer are like the minimum, but like those who are able to do more are encouraged to do more because our our service to the church is a service of prayer. Mm. Um, we are supposed to be praying for the church. Mm-hmm. And we do that mainly through the liturgy of the hours. Um, but it's not actually like my consecration was not affected by vows that I took. The consecration was something that was done to me. Gotcha. Um, by God himself through the hands of the bishop. Okay. So yeah. was that... Um how does that look? Was it challenging or, or weird to be like integrating your like little vocation as a writer since were you still at that production company in Colorado when you were when you became consecrated or like what did the integration then of like living out your big V vocation then integrating it into your little V vocation? Was that a weird thing now that you were like, wow, I'm like I'm consecrated. I'm sure you at least I know it's not about feelings, but you I'm sure you felt different, you know, once you were like living your vocation to the fullest. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't weird. Um, I, gosh, I was just so blessed to work for Ferrari Films. That company was so, um, it was like a family. The woman who owned it, Denise Ferrari, she is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and we just like clicked right away. Um, during my interview for that, for that job, like we, we had a three hour interview because we just couldn't stop talking to each other. We, we mm-hmm. really clicked. Um, but she was so um, excited and so fascinated when I told her that I was becoming a consecrated virgin. She had no idea what it meant, yeah. but um, she was so interested in it that she asked if Ferrari Films could make a documentary about it. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, I don't want my personal life on the screen. Yeah. Like, that's really uncomfortable. Um, but I, I prayed about it because she was like, it, it would really mean a lot to me if we could do this. Um, and so I prayed about it and, and I sort of got the answer in prayer that, um, Jesus said, if I wanted you to remain hidden, I would have given you a different vocation. Wow. I just got the chills. Um, that, that that is, um, part of the vocation is that it's lived in the world so that we are a visible witness in the world of Christ love for his church um that as a as a bride of christ i am meant to be an image of the bride of christ and i'm supposed to do that in everyday work life um and so to be able to um give that gift on an even broader spectrum outside of my little circle of people that i know (laughs) um like that was that was uh I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And, with, <laughs> and it's actually been a really beautiful gift. I've met a lot of women in the years mm-hmm. since who are um, discerning a vocation. And it's given me an opportunity to really like mentor a lot of other women. So That's beautiful. And did they, did they just do a lot of interviews with you or was it like they cast someone to play you or how, what did, what did the, the film look like? Um, yeah, it is, it is documentary. Um, it is interviews. Um, they interviewed me, um, they interviewed my family, um, friends, coworkers, um, they interviewed the bishop, Bishop Sheridan. Oh, wow. Um, 
and my spiritual director and my pastor. Uh, yeah, they they interviewed a lot of people. Oh, that's um, so super it was cool. it was mostly interviews. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, with just like B roll. Yeah. Um, is that available to yeah. watch anywhere on anything? It is. Yeah, you can you can buy it on Amazon, I believe. Oh, cool! Um, and what streaming. was the title? It's called Song of Songs, Journey of a Consecrated Virgin. Song of Songs, Journey of a Consecrated Virgin, and you said it's on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. Um, I I don't. Well, yeah, Amazon video. Right. The video, yeah, yeah but, the video. Okay, yeah. cool. That's so, so for all of our listeners out there, if you're interested more in, you know, the journey of consecrated virginity, um, were you, it was before, just before you were consecrated or just after? Um, it was actually like during. So okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she kind of wanted to chronicle my, cool. my preparation for mm-hmm. my consecration. So um, we did do some, some interviews after my consecration was completed. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was sort of chronicling the, the journey to get there. That's really beautiful. And what perfect timing the Lord always has. So that's so yeah. cool. And I'm guessing, um, so has, you know, writing as you were, I'm, I'm guessing then you were still living your day to day writing and working and things like that. Um, yeah. Has that aided? It sounds like quite largely to the the choosing of your big v vocation but how do you journal a lot or how kind of has writing have you found it a spiritual help even though you're telling you know secular stories that don't really have anything to do with that or not really has there been no kind of tie to writing and your vocation um you know it's funny is like i really hate journaling <laughs> that's um i feel like that's such a strange thing to say as a writer but like i i don't know once I write it, it's sort of out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I would say that um, maybe the, the biggest uh, crossover or, or connection that I've had between writing and my vocation was actually the novel that I wrote. Oh, um, wow. And it's, I, it's not obvious in any way that that's connected, but it, it, it became a very um, more of a spiritual work than I intended it to be when mm-hmm. I first started writing it. But it it became like a, a conversion story and it in some ways reflected my own conversion story um, as a young girl, you know. Well, that's beautiful. So, and what was the what is the novel called? Um, so the novel is called Six Blocks Home. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And was it before, like in the journey of your, uh, journey of your discernment or was it before, after? After, um, it was actually, it was like my, my COVID pandemic thing to do. Ah, yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, I spent all of 2020, uh, self-publishing. That was, that was like the thing that I did. Um, sadly, Ferrari films closed during the pandemic and never opened again. Oh no. Um, yeah, and it's like still makes me sad. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the best company to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I had a lot of free time, and I spent that time writing a novel. I had never written a novel before, but I was like, you know, what? I really want to do this. no better <laughs> so. time to start. <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah. is amazing. I'm going to do another quick uh, reset just because we are right. at the halfway point of our total hour long interview with Tara Stone, a writer and um, beautifully living out her vocation as a consecrated virgin. Um, and 
fully getting to explore her gifts as a writer. She's done screenplays. She's done a novel. Um, I She writes blog posts I saw on her website. Lots of awesome stuff. And we're getting some beautiful insight just into her life and what it means to live fully for the Lord. Um, so at this point, um, you know the drill. We will be right back. So stay tuned. And we are back in the vault at John Paul the Great Catholic University. I am your host, Bailey Garland, and our guest today is absolutely lovely. I'm chatting with writer Tara Stone, and her talents are widespread as she writes screenplays, and she's written a novel, and even has a movie made about her. There's a documentary called Song of Songs. It's a biography about her life as a consecrated virgin, um, and the cool thing is, is that it kind of follows her journey from you know, before her consecra- uh, before her consecration and to afterwards. And um, it was actually the film production company that she was working for that, that asked to make the documentary about her life because they were just so moved by um, the gift that she was making of herself to Jesus. Uh, so really beautiful stuff, just being a witness in the world. Um, so I'm super happy to have her on. This is an hour long special and our final episode in season one of Letter to Artists. So the first half of the episode um, was us just chatting, getting to know Tara more in depth about that journey um, and about her style as a writer. So now we're going to pivot the conversation to our quotation from Letter to Artists and dive deeper into that reflection. So here's the quotation again for a refresher or for anyone who might just be joining us now. This is from JP2's 1999 encyclical Letter to Artists. In order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. Art must make perceptible and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit, of the invisible of God. It must therefore translate into meaningful terms that which is in itself ineffable. So Tara, I just want to invite you now to give any personal reflection that you got just by reading that quote or taking it to prayer, maybe anything like that? Um, yeah. Um, I just, I think the, the importance of art cannot be um, overstated. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, do some travel in Europe. Um, in 2021, I got to do the Casino de Santiago oh, wow. in Spain. Um, and I got to see a lot of incredibly beautiful churches. Um, and there's just, there's something about beauty, um, that, that moves the human person beyond what they can see and touch Mm. and hear. Um, I was, I was particularly struck in, in Spain by, by their, um, by their images of Our Lady of Sorrows, they're, she's just beautiful. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why that just came to me, but <laughs> <laughs> um, that's like some of the most beautiful art. It also makes us like, it just makes us feel deeply, yeah. um, like really profound things. Um, but it, it takes us beyond what our, what our logic and what our words are able to mm communicate or understand even. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I feel especially as a writer, do you ever find it kind of difficult? Um, I don't know, to, to translate what you're trying to say into the words that you actually mean, whether that's in a theological sense or not, just in, in the 
the stories that you're telling. Um, yeah, I mean, that's part of what I love about writing is um, the like just getting it more and more precise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I think in a from the perspective of, of art and beauty, um, for me, that comes not so much in like the, the prose or the words that I'm choosing as much as it is the story that I'm telling. Mm. Um, I think the characters and the story, the journey that the characters go on is where where art comes from, where beauty comes from. It's not so much the words that I'm using. Oh, um, I love that. that. Yeah, I love, love, love that. Do you find, I've, I've spoken to other writers, they're like really almost how writing is like a pro-life in art in itself because it dives into the human person and kind of Mm -hmm. explores them. Do you find that to be, I mean, I guess maybe you did because you kind of just said it like a a super fun thing. Do you find yourself observing people more or just like engaging with them more because of that to develop characters or no? Um, Well, yeah, observing more for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Engaging more. I don't know. (laughs) I'm pretty introverted. So I'm like, no, I'll just observe you. (laughs) Um, no, I I think there is a particular gift that writers have of, um, sort of seeing what's behind people's actions. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know how, like, it feels like almost conceited to say it, but, um, but like there's, there's an insight that writers have into people's motivations. Like what is, what is going on? And I think it gives writers a lot of empathy, actually, um, that we're able to, to understand where people are coming from, even when they're doing things that are wrong. Mm. Um, you know, we can, um, I, I feel myself often in that position where I'm like, I can see both sides of this argument that these two friends are having or whatever. You know, okay. like, I can identify with both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that is connected with with the gift of writing that like writers need that ability to be able to, to shift from one perspective to another. Um, Oh, absolutely. I think that's, I find that really fascinating. Um, and I, I'm really interested in, um, kind of going back to the snippet a little bit, um, from a Christian Catholic perspective, I love the word ineffable and I'm going to, I think I'm saying it right. (laughs) I feel like that word I always trip up on and I've seen it before. And so I just want to, for everybody listening, um, the dictionary.com definition is too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words. Um, The second definition is not to be uttered. Um, And I find that so Mm. interesting um, from a Christian perspective, because we literally have a Bible that, you know, tries to express the greatness of God, you know, and it's like the divine inspired word of God. Um, So why do you think that writing and and art is an important task, especially from a Christian perspective? And it, I think sometimes we have a hesitancy because, and I know in other Protestants, they don't believe in icons and things like that, but I guess you have any thoughts on, on just again, backing that up of why it's important to do this? Um, Well, (laughs) it's funny that, 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 um, not to be uttered is, is one of the definitions because um, Jesus is the word mm. that God utters, right? Wow. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> um, there's like writers get to participate in 
the word, you know, Um, in the same way that Jesus is also the image Mm. of God, right? And that's why art, visual art, participates in God's creativity as an artist, right? Yeah. That they create images the way that Jesus is an image. Um, So, yeah, like, how, how awesome for a gift that we get to participate in the word. (laughs) Wow. That was mind blowing. I've never heard it put like that. And I mean, like, it's like sometimes, you know, you think it's there and you're like, yeah, I know that I know. And I, I'm a big fan. Actually, one of the things that I've been reflecting on quite frequently is, um, that words become flesh, um, kind of in a more like, I guess, uh, self-awareness sense and and like I've been really reflecting a lot on like how I speak about myself how I speak about others but to say like of course art is important of course the things we do are important because Jesus literally is the word of God and that he is the image of God so it makes sense that we in our human littleness would only try to imitate our creator and making certain things you know and making things so wow that was that was really there was a power in that the simplicity of that. I don't know where that came from. That was all the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Um, I guess kind of going off that too, I think um, there's somewhat of a controversial statement in in the quote as well, say, saying to make, it says, we must make perceptible, art must make perceptible and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit. And I think that can, you know, kind of, wrench the gut of some people to say make attractive the world of the spirit because I think a lot of times especially right now in our culture I think we have a in our catholic culture anyway the the hesitancy to like um you know with with beauty or like making things accessible to people and making them again attractive to draw more people into the church and things like that I think in the world of evangelization we we kind of have been challenging that thought quite frequently, um, at least over the past couple of years. Um, do you have any thoughts about, about that statement? How is we as artists can aid to beauty or, you know, maybe at least it's preserving truth or, you know, maybe we can't, I guess, exactly know what JP2 meant by make as possible attractive, but did you have any commentary on that? Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I think beauty is the vocation of artists. Like if you're not making something beautiful, you're not making art. Mm, snaps. <laughs> um, and I, I think we live in a culture that um, celebrates ugliness. And I think that is rooted in a place of, of hopelessness. So, like, we live in a culture that doesn't believe in anything beyond this life. And so, like, this life is all that we they have to celebrate. And we live in a fallen world, right? Mm-hmm. And so they can only find ugly things to celebrate. Wow. Um, <clears throat> When you look back at, at like, um, I, I especially think about this as a, as a musician, um, mm-hmm. thinking about, like, you know, Mozart's Requiem is, like, so objectively beautiful. Um, and it, but he lived in a culture that believed in the beyond, that believed right. in heaven, mm-hmm. um, that believed in transcendental things. And so he was, like, able to access beauty <laughs> because mm-hmm. he had hope. Right. Um, so I, I think um, our our language has become uh, sort of corrupted, I guess, in that when we hear the word attractive, we we think of something lower than what I think JP2 actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, attractive means that we are attracted to it, and art should attract us. It should attract us to the world of the spirit. It should attract us beyond 
this world. Yes. Um, Yeah. It should draw us to God himself. Right. Like almost Um, in simile with like uplift, you know, like to look at kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think of like um, when, when Jesus tells Simon and Andrew that they're going to be fishers of men, right? Mm -hmm. Fishers draw people in and that's what, what attraction is. It draws people in. And so um, if we are to make art that expresses the beauty of God, then of course it should be attractive. It should attract people um, to him. Mm, that beautiful. If anyone is just joining us right now, uh, welcome to Letter to Artists. You're coming in at an excellent time. Uh, you're doing our conversation with writer Tara Stone, and we are luckily, praise be to God, in an hour-long uh, interview with her. And we've just been sharing so much insight. We've been really diving into the snippet from JP2's encyclical Letter to Artists. Um, so if you're just joining us now, you're catching some beautiful golden nuggets. Um, this is our final episode in our season of Letter to Artists. So um, you're really going to want to save this one um, until we release the next one. Um, but earlier in the show, Tara was sharing with us stories of both her little vocation to writing and her big vocation to the consecrated virginity. And now, um, as I just said, we are kind of focusing more on the quotation from JP2's Letter to Artists. We're going to be doing a little more dissecting. Um, and then unfortunately, we'll be out of time. So uh, you're tuning in at a great time. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to read the snippet just in case anyone has missed it. It goes like this. In order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. Art must make perceptible and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit, of the invisible, of God. It must therefore translate into meaningful terms that which is in itself ineffable. Tara, I'm just curious um i think Mm -hmm. there's we were talking about kind of the humanity in writing with diving into the human person and things like that um and i do i just think there's something wonderfully human um and i dare to say divine about sharing stories and we were talking about how the bible itself um is you know the inspired word of god and um jesus himself told stories um and so this might be a, a funny question, but do you have a particular story that is, I don't know, air quote, secular, but you have found really draws you closer to Christ? Almost, you know, the way that Jesus told parables. I, I see that. Like, was there a story that, you know, wasn't saying this is Jesus or like, um, I don't know. And if you need an example, let me know, because I definitely have one. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, that's a. That's a question I could ponder for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of throwing you off guard with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, golly. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to throw out my favorite novel. Sure. Um, Jane Eyre. Mm. Um, but it's... Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't, I'm not even sure how to articulate it. Um, <laughs> but there's there's a, a theme in Jane Eyre of, of like being truly virtuous and not just having the appearance of virtue. Mm. Um, and that I think is, is a theme that is often overlooked in that book, but yeah. she makes it very clear. Um, Charlotte Bronte does that. That's, 
that's what she's going for. <laughs> mm. um, if you if you read like the the foreword that she wrote, um, that it's it's about um, living virtue because God sees you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I don't I can't point to like a how that's impacted my life in a particular way. I just um, I think it's it's such a beautiful example of how you can tell a secular story that that has a um, really meaningful and powerful message in it. Um, that when you just say it out loud, like sounds sort of uptight, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you should be living virtue. <laughs> um, so like the the way that that story is told is just it's a beautiful story. Yeah. Um, and how um, the character of Jane Eyre is um, such a such a person of integrity. Mm. Um, yeah yeah that's powerful and I love I love that word integrity just fun fact side note that really had no (laughs) no fruit to be added but I said it Um, I I was really thinking when I was pondering this question and I I think that's so fun to find yeah a specific theme or something in a story that again just uplifts the soul and as funny as it sounds I usually am not one to like I don't know, overhype uh, children's shows or children's movies, things like that. But um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people dislike Disney, but I always try to like, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I always try to find right. the good there. And I have just found that two of the most recent films that they have put out, Frozen 2 and Moana, those soundtracks to me are so powerful for the discernment process. I mean, like... Mm. um in Frozen 2, Elsa sings all about, you know, like going into the unknown. And if you listen to right. the lyrics, um, it's really beautiful. And there's a there's another song that's, oh, like show yourself. And you can take them, you know, in a, in a certain way where the light might look worse than or the intention, whatever was there that that was intended to be. But I think as you like reflect on it and maybe again, like go a little deeper there. It's so beautiful in, in how the Lord in the songs like show yourself like the lord what he wants us to do is uh, i know there's a big stipulation in the culture like make of yourself something uh like create who you want to be and it's like no the lord placed everything in us already like that that's already there and the idea of showing yourself allowing the lord to rip off all your masks break down all your walls and allow that heart to be pierced in service and in love for others show yourself who you truly are that um who the Lord is calling you to be, who has created you to be, you are already created. You don't need to create yourself. And um, I find yeah. something really beautiful and powerful there. And um, just really in- inspiring is, and it's really helped me actually in, in my, in my discernment to come out to JP Catholic. I mean, I found it was so funny. It was for some reason, the frozen two soundtrack, I was like, wow, was deeply moving me. Um, and yeah, just the idea yeah. of into the unknown, like you're going out into again, whether this vocation, wherever the Lord calls you, um, he calls you into unknown places and to trust that. And, and that sometimes it does mean like she has this line about leaving the people that she doesn't want anything to change at all. She's already, she's already had one adventure, but JP two says life with Christ is a wonderful adventure. There's, there's going to be multiple and that we are continuously called. It's not just one and done. Even once we enter into like a vocation or um, a specific career or task of life that it continues. Um, And I just think that that's why I'm just so grateful for art. And um, yeah, that, that idea of just making, 
visible, the invisible things, I think it brings a lot to light and, and allows our hearts to, to really reveal itself to the Lord and who then, as we reveal our hearts to the Lord, he's allowed, uh, able to do more in our hearts. Um, we are running close to being out of time. I would love to invite you to say anything, any further reflection that you might have, Tara. Um, if not, I've, maybe this is a good place to end it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Great. Well, I want to thank you so, so much for being on the show. It has been awesome to just get to know you and hear about your story. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. All right. It has been an absolute pleasure to hear the story of Tara Stone. Um, I hope she knows of our gratitude for sharing her heart and her wisdom and her story with us. So um, everyone, our listeners out there, there were a lot of fruitful golden nuggets of wisdom in this episode. So be sure to check out the replay on Spotify, Apple Music, or Google Podcasts. Just type in Lettered Artists. A reminder that this is our final episode in season one. We will be taking some time to develop and rebrand a little bit here. Super exciting stuff in the works. We're going to be revamping the vault, our studio, as we head into season two. So we thank you so much for joining us in this first season as we dipped our toes in the water into this new world of of the podcast world. So thanks for bearing with us as I know we had some, uh, you know, some audio issues and things like that and we were developing different things um and we've really appreciated the feedback of some of our listeners um who have been able to help us continue to grow and improve the show so um bear with us as we take a little pause but don't forget about us because we will be coming back to you with a season two and uh we just want to continue moving forward and continue to serve our audience to the best of our ability. So I can reassure you that you will want to keep our notifications on and stay tuned for what we've got coming. Letter to Artists is proudly brought to you um, through John Paul the Great Catholic University. We thank our partner, JP2 Catholic Radio, for giving us the airspace for season one. And we all we both hope to encourage you to accept this call to holiness through the talents that God has given you. All right, I am your host, Bailey Garland, signing off with some encouragement for your day. Be not afraid. You artists who perceive in yourselves this kind of divine spark. As poet, writer, actor, architect, sculptor, musician, feel the obligation not to waste this talent, but to develop it, to put it at the service of your neighbor and of humanity as a whole. May the beauty which you pass on to generations still to come be such that it will stir them to wonder. Society needs you, artists. The world in which we live needs beauty.